And I'm McKenna. And together we're the Daily Profcast. We're two long-distance besties who share a love of Harry Potter. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hi guys, welcome back to the Daily Profcast. Um, Today's very exciting because we are kicking off our discussions on Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, the book. Um, So we've both started reading this and it's the next in the series for us and we're just really excited. This, This is a very fun one. McKenna is particularly excited. I was so excited. You know, the first two books, they felt a little slower to get through. Like I was excited to reread them, but I wasn't constantly going to go like pick them up and just mm-hmm. like want to spend hours absorbed in it. And the third one, I kind of felt like my interests picked up a little bit because the themes definitely get more adult. And of course I love Remus and Sirius, but when I picked up this book, I could not put it down. And I am like probably halfway through the book already because I just I just can't put it away. Right. Um, I actually had to go like find a different book to start reading so that I like <laughs> pace myself well. So I'm really excited. I have been reading Harry Potter, like the Harry Potter series and like a sprinkling of a reread of Louisa May Alcott's Little Women in there. But I've been rereading that book for like months because I've been rereading Harry Potter. So I totally understand the need to like intersperse other books in there. Um, And this one, especially, and we're going to talk about it, but this one like really starts with a bang too. It's not like, it doesn't sort of start exactly like the other three with this sort of expositional chapter at the Dursleys. We do get that, but not right at the outset. Right. Yeah. The the whole the vibe of this book is so different. And I actually, I always try and give a a couple of fun facts about the book. I don't have a ton. Um, I will say this was released July 8th, 2000. Okay. I was five years old when this book came out. Yes, same. Um, Which is just funny because I, I guess maybe I was older when the movie was released, but I just feel like I remember these things so well as a child but then to like really think about it how little I was when these books were coming out I want to say this was like five was around the time that I my parents were reading the first one to me yes so when this book came out I was probably just starting Sorcerer's Stone I think I was sort of in the same camp Mm -hmm. um I, I do remember I guess maybe kindergarten or first grade, I want to say it was kindergarten. I actually did two years of kindergarten. So I think it was my second year of kindergarten. I remember going to the Scholastic Book Fair Mm -hmm. and trying to buy these books for myself. Oh my God, TBT to the Scholastic Book Fair. You know, you like saved your money. Yeah. But not not even for books. All Maybe you did for books. I wanted like the knickknacks. Like I wanted the cool erasers. Yeah. (laughs) Wow, that was a throwback. I love that. If you're um, somebody who has children of school age, or perhaps you listen to this and you're of school age, can you just like let us know either on Instagram or on a voice message or leave a comment on Aaron's TikTok or something? Does the Scholastic Book Fair still exist? We want an update on the Scholastic Book Fair. (laughs) If you have photographs, like if there's if there's a vibe evidence that the scholastic book fair still happens is it still classic or are they peddling you know like a lot of technology and like millennial things to kids or do you still like get fuzzy uh 
pencil bags and cool erasers. I just need an update on the Scholastic Book Fair. And it, I mean, it would make sense that you would go to the Scholastic Book Fair and there would be like a big thing for Harry right. Potter. Scholastic is the big um, publisher. The publishing company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're the, they're the U.S. publishing company. I don't know about the UK, but for the US, they're the publishing company, like the primary one for the Harry Potter series. UK might be Penguin House. Ye or is it random? I think yeah. it, they've they've joined. Isn't it Penguin House Random now? It's like one something like that. Conglomerate of publishing I don't know. house. Anyway, so I definitely remember being in kindergarten in the first grade and going to the Scholastic Book Fair and there being like a Harry Potter display of what was out and me picking out the books. And I remember, you know, like the librarian typically runs the Scholastic Book Fair with the book fair people. And I remember her being like, you can't read those books. Like you're small and these books are probably too old for you. And I have the same thing happen because the following but McKenna year- was like, McKenna was like, joke's on you. I'm already like a fifth grade reading level. <laughs> yeah, I remember the next year, second grade going to buy the Lord of the Rings books. Oh. And her literally taking them out of my hand and being like, you're not spending money on this. Your parents won't be happy if you buy these books. And I was like, but I can read them. And this you was the big, them. yeah, I, I did. I mean, this is like such a stupid thing, but I, I had a college level reading level in the second grade. So I yeah. was reading like far beyond my years, yeah. but I just remember like, they just didn't want me to buy these books. So I guess that's my early memories of Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. <laughs> And your teacher said no, and you said, bet. <laughs> and now I have a Harry Potter podcast. <laughs> so suck it, Miss Jones. Or whatever your teacher's name was. I don't know. Um, so yeah, so it's just funny to think that we were only five years old when this book released. But uh, another thing I thought was really interesting was I saw this quote from the author that said, where in an interview, she said, book four is a very, very, very important book. Something very important happens in book four, but also it's literally a central book. It's almost the heart of the series and it's pivotal. What is she talking about? Well, I think the, I mean, the important event is obviously at the end of the, the book. Of, yeah. Okay. Right. But I, I actually agree. I sort of think this book is really interesting because it breaks up the series Yes. We have Harry as a child. I think this is where Harry like grows up. Which is insane to think about because he literally has just turned 14. Right. Think about yourself at the at the age of 14. Yeah, but there's a lot starting of starting high school. Yeah, I was an infant. Yeah. I yeah. felt like I I look back and I like thought I was so old and mature and now I'm looking back and I'm like you were a baby. You were a little baby. But this I, I would agree. I think that this is one of the more pivotal books in the series. But they, yeah. From here on out, they sort of all play a really important role in Harry's journey. I think pivotal is the right word, yeah. But this, I think this completely changes the series. And it's just very interesting to think about how one through three and then five through seven sort of bookend this book. Yeah. And as I'm reading and I'm getting all of these I'm reading these things and I'm like, oh my gosh, we're going to learn so much more about that in Order of the Phoenix or in Half-Blood Prince or whatever. This book introduces so many concepts and I feel like this is the book where she really, like how she had mapped out the series, this is where she really laid the groundwork for everything. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's a wildly important book and I think it's also a really cool book because we get to learn about the other wizarding schools and the World Cup and we get so much more of the wizarding world in this book, which is really yeah. cool. Yeah. 
but it also comes with a lot of plot inconsistencies. <laughs> yes, yes. And actually, um, at the start, I I felt that there was a lot more like muggle content than we normally get. Um, sort of just trying to bring it back to, and of course, at the start of the book, Harry's, you know, with the Dursleys and Privet Drive. Um, but just, it's sort of funny that we have to like recall like, oh, this is the, this is the difference between the muggle world and the wizarding world. Um, and she, she, the author mentions a couple like specific muggle things. And I just think it's funny. I'm like, you didn't mention those specific things before. Um, so yeah. And it's also, this is, I want to say this is the biggest book in the series. Is this the longest book? Yeah. I think this is the longest. Um, so there's, yeah, there's a ton of stuff in here. And we're going to talk about all of it. Yeah. So we're going to only talk about chapters one through three today. Mm -hmm. um, especially because four and five really go well together and they pair nicely with like six and seven. So we'll do more chapters going forward. So today will be a lot more, I guess, introduction. But I think I could talk about chapter one for the next hour. So, so get us started, McKenna. <laughs> so uh, the number one note I have basically on this book is that this is a vastly different opening chapter than anything we have ever gotten before in the series. That's my first note in my notes. I'm like, this starts considerably, you know, it's considerably darker, way different than any of our other opening chapters for one through three. Right. So we typically in the opening chapters of these books have gotten sort of reintroduced to Harry. He's at Privet Drive. He's sort of longing for Hogwarts. Well, not in one, obviously, but in two and three, he's longing for Hogwarts. He's dealing with the Dursleys. And the first chapter, it, it's sort of funny because it always is like, this is Harry and his friends, Ron and Hermione, and he yeah. goes to magic school. The exposition chapter, though, it's, yeah. I call it, I call it chapter one is the chapter for dummies who didn't read the books in order. Right. And so this chapter one is not that chapter two actually is more of the exposition yes. chapter. And what's interesting is this is the last book where we're going to get an exposition chapter that drops after this book, um, which makes sense because it's sort of like, by the time we're going to read Order of the Phoenix, it's like, this is book five. And if you don't know who Harry is and that he goes to magic school. Get with the program. Get with the program. Right. So this chapter, I was trying to remember what did it feel like to read this chapter when you had no idea what was going to happen in this book? And if you are reading this as a first time reader, and perhaps some of you listening, this is your first delve into the series. I'm sure it's extremely unclear at first why this house is important, why we're learning about it, and who this groundskeeper is, and why any of this matters in the grand scheme of the story. Yeah. It's just like a very strange opening, and it's dark, and it's um, ominous, and there's just like so much going and I, on. I do. I love... I love stories that start out with like action and intrigue. And yes. I, I do, I, I think this is a stronger opening than we've seen from the book. Like imagine if Prisoner of Azkaban has, had started with the scene of just describing Sirius escaping Azkaban. Yes. That would have been so much cooler. I do, I think there's a lot more this sparks a lot more interest because as a reader, you're like, where is this going? This is sort of intriguing and creepy and I need to know more. 
Yeah, definitely. And and then, you know, I feel like at the beginning, you're very fuzzy on like, what is this house and who are these people? We're learning all about the muggles talking and trying to figure out who killed these three people in the Riddle house, you know, and I guess Riddle, that's our first clue. If we can recall back to Chamber of Secrets, okay, we know Voldemort's, you know, given name was Tom Riddle. Okay, so now we have like a little, the first breadcrumb, we're like, okay, this has to do something with Voldemort, right? And then we get into the story. And by the time we we are introduced to Voldemort and Wormtail and this other mystery person inside of the house, in the dialogue that follows, number one, we are reaffirmed that Voldemort loves to monologue. <laughs> Two. The classic villain. Right. We basically get the whole plot of this book laid out in front of us, though we don't really know yet that it's going to be the plot of the book. Yeah, absolutely. So just, I think it's just some really cool literary, literary elements. Yeah, again, it's, it, there's more, this sparks more intrigue. Sorry, opening. I'm talking so much. I'm so No, excited. oh my gosh, I love it. I love it. No, please keep going. Um, so let's get into it. So it starts with, it's not even really a flashback. We get background information right and um, we're unsure right now why we're getting it in in what format we're getting because typically right all of these books follow harry's thoughts and his character experience so when we're thrown into this eventually or you we're going to learn eventually why we're getting it but we're kind of like wait this isn't from harry is it is it not from harry you don't know it at the beginning is this the first chapter we've seen in the series where Harry is not involved in all, at all and it's not from his perspective? Yes, but it sort of I is from his is. perspective, right? Because we're going to learn that this is a dream of Harry's. Right, that's correct. And this is the first dream Which we... Which is a pretty cool way to tie it in. Right, and this is the first instance in the series thus far where we can see that Harry's having these vivid dreams, dreams about Voldemort. Quote, quote. Yeah. 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 Totally. And that's, again, that's going to become a really big plot point later, well, particularly in the next book. Right. And what's interesting, I think about this dream, I have to find a new word, but interesting. What is special about this dream is that typically when Harry's going to have these Voldemort visions going forward, he almost always is seeing them from the perspective of Voldemort or Nagini. Right. And this, Harry's like a third person observing the scene which is That's i find it like a plot inconsistency almost because probably maybe she didn't know how she was going to use this like voldemort harry mind connection going forward division Vold <laughs> i've just seen you've heard of wandavision now we have voldivision <laughs> Anyway. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so, yeah, it does seem like a plot inconsistency, right? And it makes sense why Harry would see it from Voldemort or Nagini's perspective. We will find out that that makes total sense later. That makes a lot more sense. Right. Yeah. Then, like, why is, how does Harry just, like, end up in his dreams in this place? Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's it's convenient for the, the telling of the story. Exactly. Because we wouldn't get to meet Frank Bryce, really, if it wasn't from a third person observer's perspective. But it's it's weird. The like the line is really blurred between reality and 
dream or were i mean we find out at the end that this is a dream harry has had and so does it say whether or not he was viewing it from voldemort or nagini's perspective because i don't know that it explicitly states it because i've us until the line that says harry awoke with a start it's reality there's this weird we get like background information on these murders that happened 50 years prior suddenly we're back in present day present day being 1994 in august and um and then it's all this stuff that transpires in the riddle house right so i think later on in the book when harry talks about this dream with dumbledore i believe it is he's going to tell dumbledore that he's seeing it okay like he sees that voldemort is obviously in this chair and then i'm using my hands so much today nobody can even see my hands it's your italian coming out so he sees Voldemort in the chair and then he sees Wormtail and then he knows that there's a third mystery person there and he like can't okay. recall whose face that was and who he was seeing. Got it. So I do think we know that he's like viewing this, but it's weird, right? Because when we get brought into the story, we're not even seeing it initially dialogue. We're like getting this like backstory of like what happened with the Riddle House and who Frank Price is, the groundskeeper. And it's it's just strange. Like it just feels yeah. strange. Yeah, it does. You're right. So we get the background information. Yes. And then we catch up with Frank Bryce. It's 50 years later. He's 75. He has a stiff leg from the war. Um, my boyfriend always loves to remind me that, you know, why didn't the wizards hypothetically, if there was a wizarding world, why didn't they help us out with world war two or world war one? Um, he loves to point that out. Um, Anyway, off topic, but, and then the, the interesting thing with the, with the background on the, the riddles getting murdered. So mama, papa riddle, and then Tom riddle senior, um, is the weird thing was there was no cause of death, no discernible cause of death. Right. Right. So to a muggle, that's like, what? Like no poison, no nothing, no obvious bodily harm. Um, it just looks like they just dropped dead. At totally, the dining from room. our perspective, <laughs> we know that when you get hit with a killing curse, that's the result. Um, and then now a wealthy man owns this house, but he doesn't live in it. He doesn't really keep it up, but he still pays Frank Bryce to be the groundskeeper. Yeah. So uh, one of the questions I had when I read that, there's this wealthy person who keeps it for quote unquote tax purposes. I'm like, who owns this house? I know. I want to know as well. So I don't know if you researched this, but I found two really interesting sort of like fan theories. And this is not canon at all. We really don't know who owns this house. Lay it on me. The number one sort of fandom theory is that the Malfoys own this home and that Tom Riddle slash Voldemort asked them to purchase the home and didn't tell them why. And that the Malfoys don't typically ask questions. So they just bought it and that was it. Um, that makes sense. It does make sense. But on the other hand, to sort of dispel or whatever, dispel this fan theory, I'm not sure that any of the Death Eaters would have owned the Riddle home because Voldemort tried pretty hard to conceal his half-blood status from his followers. Um, and I think we really see that in Order of the Phoenix when Harry tells Bellatrix that Voldemort's dad was a muggle and she seems more taken aback by that. That's a really good point. So I don't know that he would have like shown off his muggle parentage by having one of the Death Eaters own the home. 
The other theory about who owns his home is that it's Dumbledore. That was my first thought. And then I was like, why? I couldn't discern a motivation. Yeah, I guess, you know, we learn later in the story and in this book that Dumbledore spent a lot of time diving into Tom Riddle's past and history. It's obviously very important to him, especially because he knew Tom Riddle as a child and he was the one who, you know, claimed him from the orphanage and brought him to Hogwarts. Um, So I don't think it's out of the question that Dumbledore could have bought the Riddle home and studied it. But I do think, you know, as we're going to learn later through this book, if the groundskeeper was found dead in the home, Dumbledore would have been alerted to that and then thought it suspicious that the groundskeeper died in the home. And that would have maybe told him that either like the Death Eaters were meeting there or that Voldemort was in some way back. That's a very good point. So I mean, maybe Voldemort himself. It it could be that there's just like a random muggle muggle. who owns it. Yeah, who knows? But those are really interesting theories and I'm glad you researched them. Yeah, I mean, it could be Voldemort owns the home himself. That's also not totally out of the question, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he could have purchased it, you know, but like more than 13 years prior and- And just maybe having Lucius- He's an old muggle dude and he's, you know, Voldemort's getting up there in age. He was born in what, the 20s? Yeah. Yeah, so- (laughs) Anyway, just thoughts I had while reading is like, who owns this home? And that's very interesting. Yeah. And and they obviously went out of the way to tell us that somebody owns it and keeps it. So I don't know. There's yeah. these books, especially this book and moving forward in the series, there's so many things to sit and pick apart Absolutely. in your brain, right? Absolutely. <laughs> um, another th- kind of interesting thing I thought was, you know, we learn on the day of the Riddle murders, you know, many years prior that there was a dark hair dark haired pale boy hanging outside of the riddle household yeah that's obvious well maybe it's not obvious to a lot of people but that's Voldemort (laughs) yeah Tom Riddle Jr. Tom Riddle Jr. yeah although I I imagine he hates being called Jr. (laughs) Tom Marvolo Riddle (laughs) yeah just that that would be a power power move if Dumbledore walked into the the Department of Mysteries next book and when (laughs) you made a mistake coming here tonight Junior Junior. (laughs) (laughs) um Dumbledore probably would have died a lot quicker (laughs) I also had this thought I'm gonna open this up for discussion what do you think Voldemort would have said before he killed his father and what was it like for him meeting his father for the first time? I just would have loved to be a fly on the wall in that interaction. Love to be a fly on the wall in the sense that you know that that's going to not go well. <laughs> right. But I just, um, I would be interested from like the character analysis point of view of, of Voldemort to be like, I wonder what he said to his father before he killed him. Like, was he already, was he already disgusted by him or did they have a conversation and was Tom Riddle, did Tom Riddle Sr. like malign him or, that's a really good question. And I think it would have been one of the first times, if not the first time he met his father. So 
I don't know. I'm so intrigued because we know Voldemort has this flair for the dramatic and he loves to monologue and he sort of loves to like go on about himself and, and look I, larger than life. Right. Yeah. And I just wonder what he would have said to his father before he killed him and the other two riddles that somebody were write the monologue. Yeah. I need a fan fiction. <laughs> There's gotta please. be another monologue of that. Tom Riddle is back. Yeah. Back in the house. So essentially Frank sees a light on inside of the home and he so Frank Bryce is the groundskeeper he's been maintaining the grounds since the riddles died the house is sat empty and is in ruins he sees a light on he thinks it's the neighborhood kids sneaking into the house again because they've done it before yeah takes his lantern goes up to the house and essentially witnesses this conversation between Voldemort who we don't really get to see the sort of state that Voldemort's in but we can assume that it's not a good one because yeah the perspective we specifically get is that uh wormtail and this other mystery man that's there with them is sort of like crouching down and sort of like looking down into the chair so i I kind of assume that this voldemort is maybe more like the voldemort of king's cross station voldy baby does it yeah exactly like the barbecue voldy baby yeah barbecue baby But maybe maybe no barbecue sauce yet. Maybe yeah. just grilled really baby. Um, now you say mystery man. You've gotten farther along in the book that I have, um, but there's no mention of a of a third person there in the room. It's just in the movie Barty Crouch Junior's there, right? But maybe I'm conflating the two in my head. And that happens to me literally all the time. I'm like, was this just a book thing or was it a movie thing? But, um, but in the, in the first chapter, at least now it could be a later chapter where Harry's like, Oh, I realized I saw another person there that could totally be a thing. Um, but in this first chapter, it's just Wormtail and Voldemort talking and there's no mention of another person in the room. That doesn't mean he's not there. I haven't gotten far enough, but, um, yeah, no, you're right. I think uh, I'm totally conflating the, the movie in my head, but we, we get, Wormtail and Voldemort having this conversation. Yes. They're the only ones talking anyway, regardless right. of if he's there. Yeah. Now, um, I have I have questions about like Voldemort being able to manifest himself in certain forms. So like the form he took in Chamber of Secrets as the memory from the diary, was that able to exist because it was from the diary horcrux? Was it able to con- exists like separately from this like tiny weird wrinkly baby Voldemort we are now assuming that we were assuming we were getting now um and if so like has Voldemort been this like little wrinkly thing for how long has it been sent did he crawl away from the potter's cottage in this state and then when he was, you know, on the back of Quirrell's head, he assumed a different state and then went back to this state. This like shape shifting and manifesting in different forms is like not very well explained. No, it's basically not explained at all. And I don't know that it's, that's like necessarily a negative because as a whole, like Horcruxes are a thing of mystery for the wizarding world. Um, so this could just be like another mysterious thing that we just is not explained. But I, I have, I just have questions. <laughs> like, I just want to know how this is possible. Yeah, me too. I have the same questions. I suppose in my head, I sort of felt like the Voldemort that was vanquished and left the Potter's home was almost like an ethereal spirit. Yeah. Like, 
I, I just see like wispy white, you know, or like maybe black because he's yeah. like dark and ominous and evil. Yeah. Um, and that he just like escaped, I guess that we know that it's Albania that he escapes to. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if like maybe he like gets his strength back by like feasting on other creatures or like causing terror. I think in this particular situation, um, well, we meet Nagini for the first time, and we also learn about Bertha Jorkins. Yes, and I want to talk about her. Yes, who is this ministry employee? She works for, does she work for Ludo Bagman, or does she work for um, Barty Crouch Sr.? I'm about to pull up her Harry Potter wiki article because I wanted to talk, talk, talk about her a little bit. Because Bertha Jorkins would have been a classmate with Wormtail and the rest of the Marauders at Hogwarts. Right. Which makes us even creepier that Peter like knew her at school. Um, so yes, we're meeting Nagini for the first time. The reason we are now meeting Nagini, Nagini has recently be, been turned into a Horcrux because of Voldemort's murder of Bertha Jorkins. Right. Wormtail brought Bertha Jorkins to him. Bertha Jorkins worked at the Ministry of Magic in the Department of Magical Games and Sports. So she would have been a colleague with Ludo Bagman, I think. Um, and she was at Hogwarts with the Marauders. Uh, she, she got hexed by while she was at school the big drama that happened to her was she was hexed by a boy who she teased because she caught him kissing somebody named florence behind the greenhouses um but yeah she was a ministry employee and she went to school with the marauders she's somebody we know was at school while they were there i think a year above them so she um, i i kind of it escapes me why she's out in the I guess like Albanian forest is it Albania where they are. She's not out in Al. No, right now. No, no, where they find her and murder her, or do they lure her out there? I think I Wormtail just brought her. What? I don't know that they're in Albania anymore. I think. Well, I don't know. We just know they. At this point, we only know that they murdered her, and Wormtail lured her somewhere, and murdered her. Oh yeah, you know what? I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, they talk about later. It's in the because book. you've read more of the book than <laughs> I have. <at> <laughs> they talk later on about, like, I, I believe Arthur Weasley is going to be talking with Ludo Bagman about where Bertha Jorkins went to, and then she never came back from that place. Yeah. Um, and so I think we'll get more information later on about where she was at right. the time of her murder. But yes, right now all we know is that Bertha Jorkins was murdered. It is, like you said, her murder that makes Nagini a horcrux. Although yeah. nobody right now has any idea what a horcrux we is. We just know he has us. a pet snake. Yeah. Right. Um, um, and it's Nagini's venom that is keeping Voldemort alive. Yes. And I do want to say that it's the venom because, because people hear this thing milking a snake and they're like, do snakes have nutters? <laughs> milking a snake is, is extracting its venom from its fangs mm -hmm. from your resident elementary school reptile nerd um reptile so girl 23 so voldemort is getting is is living off of the venom of a snake which is so weird yeah like how is this working i have questions no it's it's just like there's so many questions so what's especially scary about this manifestation of voldemort is while he is weak and sort of dependent on wormtail and nagini 
this is the first time we've seen him independently. Yeah. In Sorcerer's Stone, we saw him attached to Quirrell. In Chamber of Secrets, he was a memory from the diary, but didn't have a full physical form. This is our first time seeing him with some sort of a physical form and independent. Yeah, it's creep. It's creepy. Yeah. This is also the first time in the book we get so much murder right off the bat. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot of murder. <laughs> we get the murder of the Riddle family, which we don't see. We hear about it, of course. Yeah. Then we get they're planning another murder you know they're having these conversations and it's like oh boy another murder then we know that they've murdered Bertha Jorkins and then you know Nagini is going to alert Voldemort to the fact that there is this muggle Frank Bryce spying on the conversation that he's having with Wormtail Mm -hmm. and this is the first time I really like I had to think about it but this is the first time we like see like the killing curse used and somebody dies or Nagini eats the per. It's the first time we like witness the murder of someone. I guess you're right. I'm trying to think back because uh, the only other time we would have, in real time, been reading about it, it wouldn't have been in real time. It would have been Harry's memory of his parents dying. Yeah, and that's just a memory. So you're right. So this is autumn. This is immediately. This book is already like way darker and freakier. Yeah, and this is a murderous book. Like this is not going to yeah. be the last person to die in this book. Spoiler alert. Enemy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think it's just um, it obviously signifies a very significant change in tone for the series. Like I really think we've crossed over the threshold of like totally child appropriate, and we're now moving into this is definitely a young adult to adult series yeah absolutely um Um, we learn that there is a quote-unquote faithful servant at hogwarts yes and there could be two people that voldemort's talking about right well i think that at this point as a naive reader we are to assume and probably Harry assumes is Snape. Now, once we get further along in the book and we meet Igor Karkarov, now we're going to like, now he's another contender for a faithful servant at Hogwarts. I was going to say, I would think like getting to the end of this book, you, you, because we know, do at this point, do we know that Snape was a Death Eater? Well, Harry's going to find out in this book, but Harry right. has a lot of. Um, but I don't know if as a reader, you would know exactly who's being talked about. Maybe your brain goes, oh, Snape is the mean character. But um, uh, I think but if I'm Harry, this, if I'm Harry and I'm having this dream, Harry has always just dis- like internally thought about how he thinks Snape is like a force working for evil rather than right. a force working for good. I guess I just assume if I'm Harry and having this dream, I hear faithful servant at Hogwarts. I'm like, oh, it it must be Snape. Like he's the worst. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, and, and we, te- you're right. Technically, I guess there are three people that he could be talking about at this point as somebody who, you know, if people have already read the series, but um, we know who it is that he is talking about. And we'll find that out later. And it's not, it, it, it's not Snape in this instance. No, it's not. Well, it's not. No, it's not Snape. At all. No, not at all right now. Um, 
Yeah, it's not Snape. Who else do you think that it's referring to? You said Igor Karkaroff, Snape, yeah. and then he he's talking about Barty Crouch. Junior. In the form. Yeah, Junior. <laughs> junior. <laughs> In the form of, you know. Barty not, Crouch. Junior. <laughs> Such a great scene. That wasn't come out. Um, there's there's another thing that's mentioned, and this is really tiny, but this is my like nerd lore brain gets very frustrated because I get comments on TikTok all the time. You know, when you do serious black content, everybody's like, "Why didn't you know?" There's so many things they could have tried to figure out he was innocent, which is correct, and you know he didn't get a trial, and they just sent him right off because the evidence seemed inc- incontrovertible. Um, Guys, and people for are the always plot of the book, <laughs> literally. But everyone is always like Veritaserum. Check the spell. His, you know, check his last spell and his wand. And there's there's a mention in this chapter. You know, Wormtail's like, oh, we could have just altered Bertha Jorkin's memory, not understanding that Bertha Jorkin's needed to die for Voldemort to create a Horcrux. Um, and you know, he says we could have altered her memory, and Voldemort's like, memory charms can be broken by powerful wizards. <laughs> I'm like, there is always a loophole. Veritaserum can be resisted if you have a really strong will and know it's being given to you. Um, you know, memories can be altered if you look at a memory in a pen seat. Like, there's always an out. And I'm like, if you're gonna write like an absolute magical thing, make it absolute. Don't get, don't cover your own plot hole by making an out later. Because now I'm like, well, then everybody who's in St. Mungo's who's suffering from similar things that Gilroy Lockhart is suffering from, there's some way it could be fixed and they're just not? I know, it makes no sense. And I feel like a lot of her plot holes, you know, the authors in, in this series, it's sort of like, well, it's ancient mystery magic. Like, yeah, we and can't that's, that's figure it out. <laughs> and I, I will say when you're creating a universe as large as this one with as many like facets of magic as this one, I, I get it. There's going to be plot holes, but there's, there's just a lot. Yeah, there is. Um, I wrote down this quote that I think you're going to be really excited to talk about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Voldemort says to Wormtail. Yes, I know exactly which one you're talking about. I have my reasons for using the boy. As I have already explained to you, I will use no other. I have waited 13 years. Now we get to talk about the bond of blood. <laughs> yes. Um, so we're going to learn in chapter 37 of order of the phoenix harry uh, dumbledore is going to explain this to harry but dumbledore you decided to use the bond of blood to protect harry against voldemort he cast a charm on harry um and petunia sealed it when she agreed to take harry into her home so basically as a result harry is protected as long as he calls the dursley's house his home um there's some debate if it was lily's sacrifice that created the charm and not james or um why like this ancient magic doesn't go into effect every time somebody dies for another person but we are going to learn that the true nature of the charm is that it requires intentional spell casting on someone's part to activate the magic and it also re- requires the decision of a family member to seal it i'm just so, curious where are you reading this from the lexicon heck yeah love yeah. the lexicon yeah. um yes so this 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 is something that is completely not explained in the movies. Yeah, I had to. That, that is right from the Harry Potter lexicon. We can link it in the um, show notes. But mm-hmm. I, I had to just write it out because this is like sort of a complicated thing, and it's it's super complicated, really important. Um, 
yeah do you want to say anything else about i just want to say like you know one thing we can get mad at dumbledore for is leaving harry in an abusive home and one of the ways that is explained away is like oh no he had to is because of this bond of blood which you're like "Mm." but there's this ancient charm where basically because harry is with his blood family this charm is an effect that is keeping him protected and concealed from voldemort Mm -hmm. this is why he is totally fine a-okay up until order of the phoenix when the advanced guard has to come fetch him from the house and bring him to grimald place um because because of the events at the end of this book that blood that bond of blood is no longer going to work another reason that voldemort says i have to use the boy i can't use another wizard or you know another person um is because he is also going to be drawing strength from the fact that harry himself is a horcrux yep that's how he is going to like he's going to use that part of his soul in harry to help him re-manifest into like a fully formed person um and but wormtail doesn't catch on to that he doesn't know that no and i guess i always assume voldemort's using harry because of the because of the protection charm that he would then be allowed to touch harry again because without becoming uh, physically injured. Because we right. see, right, yes. in Sorcerer's Stone, when he, like, when Harry touches him, like, he, like, crumbles. Yeah. And that's because Harry has... dusted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I actually think this is, like, this is, number one, it's a bad choice because it's going to come back to haunt him in Deathly Hallows later. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it's a choice he makes out of arrogance. I actually do think, I mean, I... I think that the fact that Harry is a Horcrux and some of Voldemort runs through Harry definitely like ups Voldemort's strength in terms of like coming back to life. And it gives him, you know, he, they've got this connection in the brain, but they they've had that they had that before, so never mind. But I, I oh, but you know what? Doesn't Dumbledore later in the series tell Harry that he doesn't think Voldemort realizes until later in the series that Harry's a Horcrux? I don't know yes. that at this point Voldemort knows Harry is a Horcrux. Oh shoot, you're right. Yeah, I don't think that's true. I think he's. Uh, I think Voldemort specifically wants to use Harry's blood so that he will be able to touch Harry. You're right. Without... His, only, his only motive. You're absolutely right. His only motivation is is breaking the bond of blood. He has no idea about the Horcrux thing. You're right. And so it's... that's not, that's not necessary, I guess, for him to come back. It's a choice made out of arrogance. You know, it's like if he hadn't had done that, he could have come back to life using another wizard's blood. And he eventually would probably be able to, well, I mean, if Harry, I guess, had given up on the Dursleys and moved out, he would be able to touch Harry. But he, I think this, he could And if this prophecy wasn't, wasn't a thing. Right. He, I think he could have used like other means to get to Harry. I don't know this. I think this is a bad choice on Voldemort's part, but again, for plot, we know why he does it, you know, it is. And it's, this is fulfilling the prophecy. Yeah. This is one of the reasons why Voldemort and Harry, other than the Horcrux thing are connected and like, like, yeah, it, this is one of the things connecting them with the, with the context of the prophecy. Yeah crazy and it's interesting and it's you know it, when you're first reading this it doesn't really make sense why it had well i guess you just think it has to be harry because harry is so important to voldemort and it's sort of like 
Voldemort needs to finish what he started. But once you read this in context of the Bond of Blood charm, then you understand, you know, more about this. That's kind of, that's kind of why I wanted to bring it up. This but the is... lexicon's really interesting to sort of read more about this. And again, this is like ancient magic, you know, that only Dumbledore can do. The lexicon in general is an amazing online resource for, for Harry Potter lore information. I use it frequently. Yeah. Um, really appreciate all the people that, that take the time to volunteer and create that. Um, this is this whole conversation that takes place in chapter one is something that upon a first read i would not have read super deeply into just because there were so many unknowns i would have just been like that's something i don't know that i'll probably find out later now going back and rereading and reading it again knowing what i know now there is so much packed in here yeah it's so important so you know voldemort tells frank bryce he's like i am much the quote is i am much much more than a man um which i thought was really interesting because number one it just shows voldemort's like obsession of self um and yes it, it's obvious that he's like i'm not a man i'm a wizard but i also think it's referring it's to his prejudices yeah like, and it's 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 the prejudice as well as the yeah i yeah. think it's just important that i think to know a lot of what voldemort says like it has a lot of meaning you know later to the story and there's just there's a lot packed into his monologues, though as cliche as they are, you know, to have a the evil villain doing monologuing, his monologues are very important too. Totally. And we know because of the Horcrux thing, I mean, we not that anybody knew at the time, not until, you know, Harry and Dumbledore find out that it is Horcruxes that he's utilizing. Um, we know in the during the first Wizarding War, my favorite Wizarding time period to talk about. My favorite war, the first my, Wizarding War. <laughs> my, we know during the first Wizarding War that a rumor came about that Voldemort was immortal and couldn't be killed. Mm -hmm. And that's another reason why this, like the idea that Harry defeated him as an infant has so much intrigue is because that was a rumor that was started possibly by Voldemort just talking to his Death Eaters being like, I can't be killed because at that point he can't. No, he can't be. It's so crazy. Yeah, so Super crazy. Um, Voldemort also says to Wormtail, I will allow you to perform an essential task for me, one that many of my followers would give their right hands to perform. <laughs> Cha-ching. Bingo. Voldy humor? Yeah, that's like, that's that's the only joking we ever get from Voldemort. Foreshadowing and comedy. Yeah. <laughs> um, it might be pertinent to like take a pause on this maybe and discuss what Horcruxes are because I feel like we're talking a lot about it. And if you're somebody who is like maybe new to the series or you haven't read for a very long time, you might be like, what is this Horcrux they keep talking about? Probably a good idea. I will say we have been talking about it already, but this is a gigantic end of the series spoiler, just so you know. So if you don't want to hear this, skip ahead. So this becomes a huge plot point in Half-Blood Prince and then beyond. Mm -hmm. A Horcrux is a object or I, we find out could also be a living thing a something a vessel which you can store a piece of your soul in how do you break your soul apart in order to put it into another vessel murder murder <laughs> if you commit murder that is a prerequisite for splitting your soul and putting into a horcrux 
Voldemort at this point has split his soul seven times and has seven horcruxes. Though he only knows about six. Yes? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Correct. The only ones we know about at this point are, and we don't even really know, we vaguely know about them, are Nagini, the snake, and and Tom Riddle's diary, because when Harry destroyed the diary, that vanquished the memory of Tom Riddle that was trying to, like, come back to life, because that killed his part of, like, Voldemort's part of his soul that was put into that object. Yeah, so Basilisk Venom can kill a horcrux yes yes you can't just like point your wand at it and destroy it there's like a specific method of destroying horcruxes which is obviously going to be like the plot of books six through seven correct and so so when you hear us talking about horcruxes we are referring to these objects that voldemort has imbued his own soul into by means of like murdering another person So do you think at this point, sort of in the background of the story as we know it, do you think Dumbledore is already like researching and like going on Horcrux related missions and trying to like learn about that sort of like dark magic? I want to, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, because we know, you know, later on in the series, he's going to tell Harry that he has been essentially like coming and going from the castle and you know trying to like learn about Tom's past and put a lot of pieces together and sort of like figure out his whole like immortality thing and I think what sparks that is when Harry hands him the diary from the chamber and he like tells Harry later like I knew this was not like normal magic like that's a really good point and I I, I, you know Dumbledore has always sort of known that Voldemort wasn't really gone but not known why Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you're right. I think the diary could have sort of been the spark, but I don't think the sort of, and he's probably always been researching this in the background because again, Dumbledore doesn't know about the Horcruxes either at this point. Um, I think probably what really sparks the investigate, the active investigation of what is really keeping Voldemort alive, like what brought him back is probably the end of this book. Mm-hmm. Because we know in book five, Dumbledore's gone a lot and is avoiding Harry a lot because he's yeah. trying to keep him, he's trying to both distance himself from him and keep him sort of out of the loop of this research. Um, so I think you're right. I think it's probably sparked by the diary and then is actively picked up probably in Order of the Phoenix. So interesting. Super interesting. We're just like, we're in the bread and butter of the series for me. We All are of and- this. If you haven't grasped this yet, we are nerds. The stuff is just like, I literally go to bed thinking about it. And I, then I wake up and I'm still thinking about it. And I'm like, hmm, bond of blood. Like, let me think through this. That's hmm. me with the Fidelius charm on Halloween. Yeah, I, I'm so intrigued. So to sort of round out this chapter, <laughs> what we have learned is that some big event is going to be occurring at Hogwarts this year. We don't know what it is. There is a faithful servant at Hogwarts who's going to be working in the interests of Voldemort. And Voldemort is back in some form and is planning like a murder slash some big event. And this yep. is sort that of like- That involves Harry. That involves Harry, of course, yeah. 
So this is sort of like what we get. So Frank Bryce is killed, first murder we see, and then kind of like ending this chapter and moving into the next chapter, we learn that this is a dream that Harry has. Yes. And we now are questioning, did it really happen? Right. And listen, I told you I could spend 45 minutes talking about that chapter. And you it did. It was so you good. An hour. I know. Yeah, good. <laughs> um, okay, going into chapter two, the scar. Harry awoke with a start was the, the end of the last chapter. Um, this is the beginning. So we've seen Harry's scar hurt before in the presence of Voldemort, but now he's really confused because he's like, Voldemort's not around and yet my scar is hurting. This is weird. I need to talk to somebody about this. And he goes through sort of the list of people in his head he could talk to about this. But this is our first time seeing a glimpse of Voldemort and Harry's connection of their, like the connection of their minds. Yeah. And like we said earlier, typically Harry sees into Voldemort's mind, you know, like what, what minds mind what's happening through his perspective or the perspective of Nagini, which would make sense because Harry is a Horcrux and he can see into Voldemort. Obviously, Voldemort's not a Horcrux, but that's where like Harry's Horcrux is called to. Mm -hmm. And then Nagini, another Horcrux, it would make sense why he can see from the perspective of Nagini. Because those are just, it's just the connection of the pieces of soul. Right. Yeah. Um, And I think I said this earlier, but I kind of, I wrote down these plot holes I feel like are some of her worst plot holes I'm like why is he seeing this third person and then everything else in the future is going to be first person I just don't understand yeah yeah um but yeah his scar is hurting and that's very confusing he's back at privet drive he's been there for the summer big big old he got a big bummer at the end of last year when he got a glimpse of the fact that he could have lived instead of with the dursleys with his awesome cool escaped convict godfather that didn't end up happening for lots of reasons um and he's back with the dursleys which is just extra disappointing this year right and now that we're kind of thinking about well we don't know in this book but in thinking about the bond of blood we can see why dumbledore is not motivated to have harry go live with sirius and that begs a, the darker question that we ended the last book on. Was Dumbledore not motivated to investigate if Sirius was guilty or not? Right. Because Sirius would have been a very involved advocate for Harry in this sort of grand scheme that Dumbledore has laid out and probably not let half the things happen. Whereas the Dursleys are like a passive, uninvolved, uh, you know, guardian that Dumbledore can place Harry with. Right. And I think I've seen questions of like, well, why couldn't Dumbledore just tell Sirius about the bond of blood? And then in a perfect world where Sirius does not go to Azkaban and is available to be a guardian for Harry and Dumbledore is like, hey, using the bond of blood, like Harry is safe if he's with the you know, Dursley's, couldn't you just see Sirius, like, in all Being of like, his self-arrogance? No. Like, I could keep Harry safe. Like, I'm his godfather. You yeah, know? Not only that, but if this the moment Sirius learned, first of all, Sirius probably knew of the Dursley's from conversations with James and Lily. Um, 
and just like how awful Lily's sister was to her growing up. Second of all, the second Sirius learned that he was being kept in a room under the stairs, not being fed a lot, he would have barged in there like a cannon and and gotten Harry out and probably killed somebody. Like he's he's a mad he's he's an can be an angry man. Yeah. Um, when it comes to the people he loves and and venge, you know, vengeful. Um so yeah, the fact it's just a little bit creepy to ponder the fact that Sirius was A in Azkaban and then B still on the run. Very convenient for Dumbledore's purposes. Very convenient. Very convenient. But what I do love about these couple of chapters, this and the next chapter, the invitation, is that even though Sirius can't raise Harry, his presence in Harry's life makes it so much better for him specifically yeah. at the dursley house yeah if only it had been a little longer <laughs> oh sad, <laughs> sad. i just made myself sad okay anyway um so harry scar heard scars hurting he's going through the list of people he could talk to about this it's like i could talk to hermione but i'm gonna freak her out and then she's gonna tell me to go to dumbledore and i don't really want to talk to dumbledore about this he has this hilarious moment where he's like picturing dumbledore on a beach with like a fruity drink which is just funny to think about um he's like i could talk to ron but uh, oh and then he's like he's like oh i you know who i really want to talk to about this is a parent and we this is something we're going to continue to see is just like as harry gets older this like increased desire for like a parent presence in his life that he yeah. has just been lacking which is so sad so why do you think at this point harry can't write to remus and talk to remus about these things i have a in all caps a note in my notebook where the hell is remus right the author literally forgot about him we hear about sirius we hear about ron and hermione remus was this huge presence in harry's life all this year not only that harry understands that remus left hogwarts sort of in like a disgrace because of his condition um and you're telling me that harry's like not even like a little bit concerned about him or wants to like talk to him and cheer him up and like see how he's doing and check in on him you're telling me harry just completely forgot about him and is only thinking about Sirius. are you kidding me or that remus has completely forgotten about harry and hasn't written him all summer sent him a happy birthday nothing are you kidding me and like not not our beloved and and on remus's part i get it a little bit because you know remus spent 13 years after the like violent murders of his best friends and then imprisonment of his other best friend um in this like isolation and his his you know we don't know that he didn't try and see harry he could have and voldemort or voldemort and dumbledore could have said no but he his his sort of as far as we know his instinct was to like be a recluse and like not interact and just sort of be by himself in solitude so we can sort of extrapolate that and say that like remus's response to hardship is to isolate himself because it and it goes back to his his identity of like feeling like he's a burden and not worthy of love because of his condition so like i can see maybe remus being like i don't want to impose my broken self on this boy but but also harry's like actively always in danger and remus would not be ignoring that especially after knowing that wormtail escaped right so like where is he i know it's it's one of the worst inconsistencies and he's, disservices and offensive he's literally things done. not in this whole book 
this whole book the author just forgot about the best character she created right and to think like you know i know that remus deals with his condition and everything but that like dumbledore's now just cut him off from the potion and he just can't yeah. have it anymore and to think that like harry's in the triwizard tournament and remus wouldn't come and see any of the events or like check on there him. at all for him or like help him with anything are you kidding me i learned a really interesting thing it's rude from from <laughs> um a tiktok account i'm gonna find her name so that i can credit her but um there's this creator that made this really interesting video just talking about the debate between like shipping Wolfstar versus shipping Remadora versus shipping both of those um, things. Um, let me find the video so I can cut her. The creator is CCUNNI01, CUNI01. Um, but she she made an interesting video on the author's like history with writing Sirius and Remus. And apparently like as soon as Prisoner of Azkaban came out, a bunch of Wolfstar fan fiction came out and it pissed her off. So she, and she like went to court to try and stop people from writing it, but couldn't because fan fiction is a protected thing. Um, and, and so now I'm looking, now that I've heard that and like her opinions on people putting Remus and Sirius together romantically, I'm like, huh kind of makes sense that she didn't put him in this book at all put could be a possible motivation which is dumb what a bigot yeah exactly so to deprive anyway. us of like a fan favorite character because you're homophobic. because she's so yeah homophobic it's just ugh. anyway and you know what i think both of those ships are totally valid and interesting and pose like so many cool points in each of their I've seen my, my TikTok for you page has just been so much like Remadora drama lately. And I'm. Yes, that has been, that has been an ongoing thing. I don't support people who create, Never mind. We don't have to talk about this, but. I just don't like the gatekeeping of ships. I just feel just, like yes, if exactly. it's consensual and age appropriate and it's not incestuous, like. And knowing whatever, your history is important, but. Yeah, yeah. Whatever works for you in your head that like makes you feel happiness i think that that's a good thing ships at the end of the day ships are, we talked about this with annika ships are about personal preference and just because you don't you know if you don't personally prefer something it doesn't automatically mean you hate the other thing yeah and um, it's the same with people who are like that's not canon 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 it's like yes there's like canon is very exciting and interesting but it's also like it's nice to like break free from that sometimes. And totally. Like, and as a super lore nerd, I fully support that. Yeah. Just like find comfort in your own world. Like I've talked about it before. I'm a huge black kitten shipper. And the thought of them just got me through quarantine. Like the world in my head that is about them makes me And happy. Marlene's a character that was mentioned like three times. Yeah, she died. We never even meet a living Marlene. Like, <laughs> but if that's what you like, then that's what you like. It just works for me. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm glad we talked about Remus because it's just outrageous to think that in the whole list of people Harry wants to speak to that like Remus is not even a considered option. Yeah. Um, yeah, so when Harry's kind of going through the list of all those people, that sort of serves as the exposition in this uh, book where he's kind of like introducing us to all of these people and his whole magical life. Um, and I love that Sirius sends his letters in with tropical birds. Yeah, so let's talk about that. So Sirius, Sirius, because Wormtail is not caught at the end of Prisoner of Azkaban, Sirius is still 
a wanted man. He, yeah, he's still a wanted man. There's nothing to sort of convince anybody in any position of authority or law enforcement that Sirius did not do the things that he was originally convicted for. Um, and so he's still a wanted man. He has to like kind of skip town for a little bit. And he, I think he mentions he's going to go south, but he, how far south does he go? Because he's staring, he's sending Harry letters with, instead of owls, tropical birds. My question is, did he train the tropical birds or in the like Southern wizarding world, is there like, do they use tropical birds for the post? I think they use tropical birds for the post. I mean, they wouldn't use owls in Brazil because I don't know. Well, maybe there are owls native to Brazil. I, I, that probably sounded stupid, but I would guess in some places like owls are not a native species. And so you work with what you got. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, I so love Sirius that Harry is very thinks, south somewhere. Yeah, I love that Harry's like, he's gone to the equator so that he can be nice and warm and sunny. Like, I just think of Sirius's pasty body on the beach <laughs> getting <laughs> some color. <laughs> and it's that's, you know, I like, we again, we don't really hear about what he's doing, but I hope he has a nice time. Like he deserves. Yeah, I hope he's like, had a lovely holiday. <laughs> he deserves to have a nice little like holiday away from prison. Yeah, I, like, I be think happy so for too. a little bit. Yeah, I think it's um, very cute. There's um, a funny at the at the very end of our conversation on this chapter. I have a really dumb thing to point out. <laughs> so we then we kind of get like the exposition into the Dursleys and what's been going on in the world of the Dursleys. We learned that. Uh, well. Sorry, if you're going to talk about dumb, if you're going to talk about Dudley's diet, I think that's next. Uh, that's the next chapter. No, so I think it's in this chapter. It's mentioned that um, Dudley has been playing his PlayStation, or he's received a PlayStation. This sort of bothers me because right now in this book, we are in August 1994. The did first... you look this up too? Yeah, yes, the... I did too. I made a note about this. Go ahead. The first PlayStation didn't hit the market until December 3rd, 1994. So In Japan. In Japan, right. So where would Vernon Dursley, of all people, I mean, the Dursleys are definitely well off. I would say they're like upper middle class, but they're not like outrageously wealthy to the no, this point is just where... A bad, this is just a bad research on the point of part of the author she she like and it's you know a lot of people actually complain that you know these books are sent in the 90s and we hardly see any like 90s culture yeah in them except for one mention of a butterfly clip in somebody's hair later yeah it makes it makes like zero sense yeah so just a plot hole that i thought of and that angered me <laughs> yes same <laughs> i wrote it down as well I just was like, even if you like tried to explain this away, I just don't think that there is a good explanation. I, I saw some somebody on Reddit said, oh, well, Vernon was wealthy and could have bought the PlayStation ahead of release. And I'm like, Vernon works at a drill bit company and yeah. he is upper middle class. It's not like he's he even was like a mid-level executive at a technology company or at Sony or something like that to where he would have even potentially been Gotten able to, to get beta test a playstation yeah exactly so it, it's a stupid plot hole <laughs> yeah yeah it's just it's bad research um, um and then that pushes us into chapter three the invitation do you have anything else for the scar it was sort no. of a short chapter no 
That's it. Um, um, my my first note at the top of this chapter was, of course, Vernon reads Daily Mail. Yeah, of course. <laughs> isn't Daily Mail? Correct me if I'm wrong, UK people, but isn't Daily Mail sort of like a tabloid? Um, we learn that Dudley is on a diet. He's you know gone off to his school and on his report card, basically that he is just like a loaf and a bit overweight, and you know that he needs to lose weight. So I, I sort of thought this was interesting. Well, I'm going to say interesting and infuriating for a couple of reasons. Interesting because this is the first time where we really see Petunia like discipline Dudley at all and sort of like force this diet upon him. And we see she's serving him like a half of grapefruit for breakfast. And uh, Vernon is sort of like put off by it because he also is now on this diet. And so is Harry and like everybody's miserable um, but along the lines of that, I just really, I've mentioned it before, but I really loathe the way that the author chooses to talk about plus size characters and the way that they're characterized. Um, we don't have really any great like plus size protagonist. Um, the only person I can think of that it, that is described as like, plump but like not even really is molly weasley yeah or maybe neville and even that yeah neville i think is written as being a little bit overweight but but, but neville gets there. a glow up before he's like well in the movies. at least in the movies definitely but he but gets even, like a... even then you know neville is like the sort of not super competent dorky guy at this point and molly weasley like Vernon refers to her as dumpy and again we're like oh you know Harry even says like you hardly have any but have any right to call anybody dumpy look at you but like it's just, like the fat phobia in these books is is really and like badness like people's fatness being equated to like them being a bad character is really it's really shocking it is at least from when, a 2021 perspective right and when we were discussing in Chamber of Secrets I said something similar because when they're taking the polyjuice potion in the bathroom and the trio is supposedly going to turn into crab goil and Millicent Bolstrode. So when they're about to take the potion and turn into these, you know, other people, I believe it's Ron or Harry who says, well, we should all go into our own stall and then makes a comment about how like, if they all stayed in the same stall to take the potion, like they wouldn't be able to get out because these people are like so that is like essentially what he's pointing to mm -hmm. um and he makes like size related comedy out of it rather than, you know so it does and really bother me especially somebody who is plus size about totally. just the way that like fatness is dealt with in these books and in context like I don't know that that the body positivity movement was in was in a place when these books were being written that this would have been seen as something bad and heinous um but now uh, when we're looking at it in 2021 when we, we've sort of you know got a better we've got a better perspective on body positivity and like you know people's size not equating to their worth duh um that we can look at this and be like mm, that's not so great yeah i mean Definitely. You know, obviously the time changes perspective on all things, but I think it just adds to, and I've definitely seen a lot of TikToks about this and 
people who feel that because of their body size, like they didn't feel adequately represented in the Harry Potter universe. And so it just sort of adds to this sentiment that these books are really not diverse and inclusive in so, so many ways. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, I do think it is cute that Harry's friends and Mrs. Beasley have sent him a ton of food. I do have concerns about that food being stashed in the floorboards all summer. Yeah. Meat pies. Um, um, what about food safety and or mice? Yeah. Harry. Uh... He... Hello. <laughs> um, Harry. Well, not Harry, really. Vernon gets a letter from Mrs. Durs or Mrs. Weasley. Um, it has like a ton of postage stamps all over it. She wanted to make sure that it would work. They're not used to using the muggle Muggle post. post. It's so endearing. And essentially she is asking for permission for the Weasleys to come and collect Harry that Sunday, um, to take him to very exciting event, the world cup, because it is the first time that Britain has hosted the world cup in some time. And I did some Quidditch world cup. Yes. The Quidditch world cup. Uh Uh-huh. And the last time that Britain hosted the World Cup would be around 1964, like 1964, maybe give or take a year, which means that the Marauders would have been like four or five years old. And I just, I bet that James and Sirius with their wealthy parents both went to the World Cup the last time. I don't know that the Blacks would have thought Quidditch was, well, regular. The Malfoys go. Regulus would have ended up playing Quidditch. so, So maybe they did go. You're right. And the Malfoys went to the World Cup this time around. So perhaps, I think it would probably be something that wealthy families would go out to. Yeah. Um, And definitely. certainly. The Potters, certainly. definitely think the Potters would have taken James. So I don't know. I just. I think probably, I like to, I mean, this is a headcanon, no canon evidence whatsoever. But I like to think that, what does it happen every four years? Mm -hmm. Go to World Cup. Um, I like to think that maybe the Potters went no matter where it was and took, ended up taking James and, you know, maybe he took his friends at the end of their, I think the last Quidditch World Cup would have been the summer they graduated. Um, and maybe they like all went together. After oh, I love that. That was 78. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I, I just, um, it's just cute. And I just like to think about like little James, like watching the Quidditch players. And I don't know if these things are just cute. Totally. Um, and again, you know, Harry wants to go and and Vernon is of course just a bit rude about it and then this is where Harry invokes the name of Sirius Black his escaped <laughs> convict godfather. It's awesome. Harry totally has this leverage over the Dursleys now. And he's he's always like at first he had a little leverage because he was like oh they don't know that I can't use magic outside of school, which now they then, know. <laughs> now they know, so that leverage is gone. And then, so summer before third year, he doesn't have that leverage anymore. Now he's got new leverage because at the end of his third year, he got off the train and he goes, yeah, my, my escaped murderous convict godfather likes to check up on me, make sure I'm still, you know, make sure I'm happy. And so he's got this leverage over Vernon. He's like, if you don't keep me happy, my godfather is going to come kill you, which like, he's not, but Vernon. Oh, it's just so funny. Yeah. Uh and I'm like typically the first person to sort of like be critical of Harry's sassiness and the ways that it kind of like gets him into more trouble more often than not. But this is just 
pure genius in comedy so and I love so it. So he mentions Sirius's name. He's like, oh, I haven't written him in a while. He might want to know how I'm doing. And Vernon's like, fine, you can go. Um, I think it's funny that in the letter, Mrs. Weasley says, make sure you have him respond with the normal way of post. And of course, when she says normal way, she's talking about all post. Um, we meet Pigwidgeon again, mm-hmm. who is the owl that Sirius sort of bequeathed to Ron. Um, and then I think it's hilarious that Ron already has a plan B. He's like, he, so Harry goes upstairs after breakfast and has another letter. First one was from Mrs. Weasley. This one's from Ron. And Ron's like, hey, if they don't let you go, we're going to come get you anyway. Mom just thought it might be like a little bit more polite to ask permission first, but we're getting you anyway. I know. It's so cute. And I just, I, I love the way, and we're going to definitely see it in the next four chapters, but just the way the Weasleys sort of like bring Harry into the fold. Yes. Um, and they do it in such a sweet way without like really over parenting him. They kind of like give him all the love of a parent without sort of like putting him through uncomfortable discipline or anything like that if it makes sense yeah yeah absolutely I just have the most love in the world for the Weasleys especially Mr. Weasley he's like my most underrated favorite character of the whole series so good we love Arthur love to Arthur and that is the end of chapter three Mm -hmm. there was lots to talk about in these first three chapters I can't imagine what it's going to be like going into the next many many 34 (laughs) yeah i have a feeling these episodes are gonna get a bit longer and it's gonna take us quite a bit longer to get through the book (laughs) we're gonna be in goblet of fire for months guys strap in yeah which uh, we we sort of like made a joke a couple episodes back about like oh we're gonna have to really like quicken things up and we got a bunch of dms on instagram of people being like please don't please don't (laughs) cut anything out yeah exactly (laughs) well we won't well yeah we won't i i obviously have so much to talk about i'm so excited yes absolutely well thanks for being with us and pick back up with us next week when we discuss four through seven hey thanks for listening to our latest episode As always, please subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And if you're not a listener on Apple Podcasts, it would still help us out a lot if you head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. If you have any questions, comments, concerns about anything you heard in this episode today, please drop us a line at our Anchor profile. You can leave us a nifty little voice message there, or you can head to our Instagram at the Daily Profcast to DM us or leave us an email. (music) 